Welcome to What We Give, a podcast that highlights the remarkable ways people are contributing to our community. I'm John McKay, the Member of Parliament for Scarborough Guildwood. In this episode, I'm talking to Greg Fergus, my parliamentary buddy. Greg's the MP for Hall Aylmer and the Parliamentary Secretary to the President of the Treasury Board. Greg has a strong background in politics. He's worked at all levels of the Liberal Party of Canada, including as its National Director. I've known him for more years than either of us are willing to admit. However, in this conversation, I'll learn things about Greg I didn't know. So let's get started. Greg, um, your is it your mother or your father or both of your uh, parents are from Montserrat? Is that correct? Uh, yeah, my mom. My, sorry, my mom is from Jamaica. My dad Jamaica. is from Montserrat. Yeah, so my dad's from that small little so, uh, British uh, protectorate, which uh, you can't find on half of the world's maps. Well, that's it. Uh, I was thinking that, you know, the people that might be listening to us would say, Montserrat? Where the heck is Montserrat? <laughs> <laughs> so where is Montserrat? So Montserrat is uh, in the Caribbean. Um, it is sort of smack dab in the middle. It's near uh, Antigua or St. Kitts Nevis, uh, or sorry, St. Kitts Nevis. And mm-hmm. uh, it's a small little island, which uh, in its heyday had about uh, 12, 13,000 people. And then mm. there was this uh, volcano back in 1996, uh, which uh, rendered about two thirds of the island um, uninhabitable. Uh, of course, the volcano had enough people knew that it was going to come, and so uh, a lot of people had left Montserrat by that time. But now its population is about 5,000. It mm-hmm. went from 4,000 to 5,000, and 4,000 of them are native uh, Montserratians, and uh, about 1,000 are. Uh, people who have discovered the island uh, oh, really? and have decided really? to uh, have a little property there. It's a beautiful place. And how did your mom and your dad meet? O- over uh, a volcano or something like that? <laughs> well, <laughs> well, well, like two good folks, from both from the Caribbean, they, they met yeah. in Canada. They met in Montreal yeah. at yeah. Uh, university uh, at, uh, in, in Montreal in the late 50s. Université de Montréal or uh, Concordia? McGill, or? McGill, McGill and Sir George Williams. But well, you know, people at, friends, people, at McGill, uh, people at McGill, the only people at McGill are the people who couldn't get into Queens in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> well, at that time, I think my mother would have had trouble getting into Queens. Uh, but, but that was a different, that was a lifetime ago, of course. Yeah, a lifetime ago. And so, uh, were you born in Montreal? I was. I was born in Montreal. I'd like to say I'm a child of the 60s, although uh, I was born in 1969 and almost halfway through. So, uh, you know, I don't remember it, so I must have been there. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, I do remember 69. (laughs) (laughs) So, you raised a... You raised in Montreal, and I take it your parents had a pretty serious commitment to education because they, they fire you off to the Selwyn House, uh, which right, is a right. pretty fancy schmancy uh, high school. Tell me about that. Well, actually, that was uh, not their intent. Uh, my dad was a public school teacher. My mom raised us at home, and I uh, was in the public school system uh, up until the end of grade eight because in uh, 19... 83, I think it was, it was 1983, there was a um, really huge public uh, service strike in Quebec uh, by the teachers. And uh, to resolve the system, uh, the, 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 the government 
cut back teacher salaries by 20 percent oh uh, so <laughs> and force them back to work uh, yeah. so my dad knew and all uh, my dad's friends were teachers and all my aunts and uncles uh, were teachers and they said so you're the family hey. failure then are you yeah well i was the youngest yeah. one in so i was, I was the last one in, in school oh, <laughs> and uh and so they they said you know what there's not going to be very many teachers who are going to be um uh, motivated to teach mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and uh like every good uh like every immigrant family education every education education that's all uh that that you know we can get uh, and use what's between our ears um, mm -hmm. uh, because they didn't have money. They didn't have connections, but education is yeah. one thing that they can offer. So uh, they, uh, I didn't realize what was going on when I was sitting down for these tests. I really had no idea. And then I was invited to, uh, to join the school. So I did. So you're, so you're a real smarty pants, are you? Hardly, hardly, know hardly. I've, I've, known like, you, like I've known you all these years. I've never thought that. Yeah. <laughs> I was at my peak in grade yeah. eight, grade nine. Yeah, it's been downhill ever since. Too. That's right. My best years have long yeah. passed. Yeah, yeah. Well, it must have been a long descent because you went to uh, you, you went to University of Ottawa. You went to Carleton. You picked up a couple of degrees in something or other, social something or other, social science and international relations, and then you picked up a master's degree in international relations. Well, well, as well, they say, well, you must fair, have started on, on pretty high in order to be able to go down there. Yeah, but I, I, I got to correct this, you know. Uh, I didn't pick up the master's oh. degree, so here's the deal. I had finished all the coursework. Oh. I actually uh, was an award-winning student, uh, and I was really quite yeah. happy. I was working on my thesis, and I was about to start my PhD, and I was finishing mm -hmm. off my thesis when politics came calling again. Oh, yeah. And I have yes. to tell you, I really missed politics. You are a junkie. I, 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 I'm a total, yeah, a political total junkie. you know, I am, I'm, I'm stuck on it. And yeah. uh, so it was, it was really quite funny. I remember getting the call asking me to, uh, to, to, to help out uh, the government of the day. And hmm. uh, I had that and I said, I, or I could spend the next three weeks finishing my thesis and, uh, oh, okay, and, okay. and starting a PhD program. So really that. no choice. Really there was I, no choice. I was yeah. stuck. <laughs> so is, this, is this when you started to, uh, to uh, work for Ministers Pettigrew and Peterson? No, this was, this was Peterson. So, uh, okay. you know, between the first degree and the second degree was uh, 10 years of work experience. Yeah. Um, so I did my first degree, just a regular BA uh, in, in um, political science, but at the, at the University of Ottawa, it's called the social sciences degree. And then I worked uh, in politics for, for a decade and, mm -hmm. and went back uh, to do an honors degree at Carleton. And then I started my master's and I thought I was, I really thought I was going to be a professor. Uh, yeah. at university and and, and to hence teach. all the books behind you you've been hence. gathering all these books <laughs> well well you know john i like to say i married up because uh, my wife is the one with a double master yeah. so she she made up for me and so oh, okay. uh, you know half of these books okay. are hers i'm sure you, you only you only have a double bachelor's yeah that's right yeah. that's right <laughs> uh well a generous person would say that uh, you have a you have a um uh, an interesting career line. Um, uh, a less generous person might say that this guy can't. This guy can't keep a job, or he's got attention deficit disorder, right. one or the other. <laughs> uh, 
it, it, it's, uh, it's sort of funny, you know, but I yeah, think yeah, as, yeah. as a single job uh, in the same position, mm -hmm. um, being a member of parliament now is coming up to the longest that I've had in my career. I know you're up almost up to six years. Yeah. Mind you, you you only increased your share from 51% of the vote to 54%. You've, you, <laughs> I have you've, a great you've, team. You've, 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 got, you've got a ways to go to catch up to Scarborough Guildwood, I have to say. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah you, you, know, you, I, you got some work to do. I can yeah. only dream. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 23 so you, you, years on? Pardon? 23 years in as a... As a, yeah, as a member, yeah, I started member when I was four. I started when I was fourteen. Uh, yeah, but beyond yeah. that, uh, yeah, okay. it's, yeah, it's kept it going. Yeah. You're doing well for a young man. Yeah, exactly, exactly. The, this haircut uh, is um, is uh, <laughs> a, a disguise to make me look older, so uh, older and wiser, look, uh, which look, nobody you, actually. You got you yeah, got a yeah. lot on me there, John. Okay, well, I'm 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 going to go for the older. You go for the wiser. Um, <laughs> So I, um, you know, we are at a, an interesting time uh, mm -hmm. and, um, and uh, you are at a, uh, one of the uh, pointy aspects of an interesting time because you and I um, uh, have um, shared a journey. But before we get to that journey, uh, one of the things I've appreciated you for you over the over the years, other than the fact that you're a runner and you every day you go running between your house in Ottawa, and it really makes me irritated uh, <laughs> because you're in fantastic shape, is that you are a man of faith, yeah, and um, and that's very important to you, yeah, and, it is, um, uh, and I'm curious how a man of faith sees the world in the current circumstances where um, some might argue that the faith to which you belong, Christianity, has been a major part of the problem rather than uh, part of the solution. Uh, I think the solution lies in act people actually reading the scripture, which should be a concept I know that's novel to a lot of people, but, but nevertheless, um, uh, I, I'd be curious on your reflections as to how you navigate those two worlds between um, your role as a politician, as chair of the Black Caucus, and, and a serious man of the faith, as I know you to be. I thought you were going to ask me a tough question, John. Um. Well, I'm, I, uh, yeah, you've got to do this in 25 <laughs> words or less. That's right. gonna, you give me the Coles note version. I'll, I'll, yeah. do it, I'll do it in one word, imperfectly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I navigate it really imperfectly. Uh, look, faith is, is very much important to me. I, I'm, I'm certain I have the wrong concept of God, but I, I think um, uh, I, I really believe that the ability to believe in something bigger than yourself, to believe in something bigger than your own life, um, it gives me a lot of strength. Uh, it, uh, it, it, it evens me out. So uh, when things are going really, really well, I always remember, well, this is just a moment in time and you know things can mm -hmm. change. Uh, when things are going really, really poorly, um, I just, again, say this is a moment in time and things can change. And I just have that, uh, a real faith that uh, I may not, I may not 
see justice in my own lifetime. I may not see uh, a, a perfect world in my own lifetime, but uh, I have faith that if I do my part, someone will at, at some future point. So it just, it, I think it just allows me to just think of more than just myself and more than just my narrow life. It's interesting that over the years, um, uh, the, the, the people of faith that have been at the forefront of social justice movements, and of course, Martin Luther King Jr., uh, I Have a Dream speech, um, that, that has so inspired so many people, but he, he did it in the cadence and in the soil of, of a Baptist minister, mm -hmm. of, of a minister who has read deeply into the scriptures and applied his life experiences uh, to that. It's, I, I find it as a, as a curious anomaly because there is a, there is a school of thought that thinks that, that really faith should have nothing to do with the current, current situation. Well, I mean, I, I'm not one to impose my faith views on others. Uh, you're one of the few people, true. John, you and I have had an opportunity to speak about these things over the years. And we've been, we've been years, we've been friends for, for well, almost, as, I think, as long as you've been on a hill. Where, um, way more years than I was prepared to admit to. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Still wondering, what are you doing, Tom? Yeah, yeah, like, <laughs> you think you would have learned. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that Fergus guy, watch him. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah. But, um, but it's, you know, I, I think there's a clear connection. I think a lot of people who believe in, in, in justice, who believe in social justice, who believe in the dignity of, of uh, their sisters and brothers, um, I, I think that, again, is an ability to think outside of yourself and of your mm -hmm. narrow comforts that you have. Mm -hmm. uh, so, uh, you know, uh, it, it makes, it's not a surprise to me that some of uh, our greatest um, uh, social leaders uh, in time have also had a strong religious background. Uh, from Tommy Douglas, for example. Tommy Douglas, uh, yep. uh, Martin Luther King, obviously. And yep. you carry it on. And, and I think Canadians would be surprised many of their, probably their favorite uh, politicians uh, uh, in, in, you know, throughout our history have had deep, uh, uh religious, uh, affiliations, private, but, but, but deep and abiding. Yeah. yeah including the current prime minister. Yeah. 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 Who, uh, yeah. who is a man of faith. Um, so you and I were together, um, this week at a, um, at a, uh, public safety meeting and, um, uh, it was, two hours with the minister and with the commissioner of the RCMP. Um, you asked some fairly pointed questions <laughs> and um, the questions were not, I take it from your subsequent comments, not answered entirely satisfactorily. But let me, uh, let me before I get to those questions and the uh, the issue that is the issue of the day, namely uh, systemic discri discrimination in policing. Let me ask you a couple of questions about um, some, uh, how should we say, purported solutions. The first being with respect to defunding the police. 
What are your reflections and thoughts about defunding the police? There, there are many black voices which are calling for the defunding of police. And what I believe they're trying to say is that you can't put it all, you can't make everything about the police. Police officers, it was interesting listening to uh, Commissioner uh, Lucky. Um, she said less than 0.1%. Now that's a small number. Less than 0.1% yeah. are uh, police interactions are violent. Mm -hmm. uh, and so when you think about it, that means the vast majority are not. And what are those calls? A lot of them are mental health issues. Uh, some of them are uh, 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 addiction uh, issues. Uh, some are just related to social work, just you know, people just needing somebody to help just, just take the temperature down of the situation. Mm -hmm. To me, that means that by putting all of that onto a group of people who are being forced uh, or who are trained to use lethal force and it's, that's a key part of their training it's their core competency I, I think we're i think we're sort of missing the issue you know um maybe we should be inspired by what's happening in other places around the world where um the first response is clearly de-escalation not by forced de-escalation but by an approach which just brings down the temperature uh, and and not escalate it up until it's necessary. Mm -hmm. I think um, that means we should be spending more money on, on addiction specialists. We should be spending more money on uh, mental health uh, specialists, uh, uh, on social workers who are able to really address the reason why people had called uh, that number and sought a third party to intervene. And if we did that, then you reallocate uh, budgets accordingly, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, to me, that's what I think those voices are, are coming at. Let me put it to you another way, John. Nothing burns me more is to see uh, police officers who have been trained so very hard through, they've, they've gone through, you know, a difficult uh, a process uh, to be accredited, to be able to use lethal force and, uh, and you see them on the side of a street holding a radar gun. Keep on yep. thinking, why don't we hire somebody <laughs> a lot no less expensive to yeah. do that? Uh, yeah. Because, I mean, these guys must be saying, you know, I, I went, I, I did all that training for this. Um, so, you know. And, and, the, and the cost of putting that guy out there with the radar gun is not just his or her salary. Uh, it's not just his or her car. It's not, it's the, all of the backup stuff that goes with it. And um, exactly. And so, yeah, there, uh, there is a good argument to be made. There's some re it's an internal reallocation of funding. We, we, we need a big rethink about the whole process of what does it mean to provide security? And I mean, real security for, uh, for yep. Canadians. Right. And, and there are just so many different ways which we can, we can, we can look at that. Yeah. No. No, I, 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 I think you're right. And I think, um, I think that if the committee does something useful, it'll be to delve into that among, uh, um, among other issues. Another issue that's come up uh, is data collection. Mm -hmm. And let, let me uh, ask this question in the context of, of a personal experience we had in our office. So 
you and I and every other MP received a request from Hill Times to disclose the racial composition of our offices. And I felt a little uncomfortable. So I, so we have Zoom calls on Friday with my staff and I, we put the questions up on the Zoom. And, um, and uh, as you well know, because you've been to our writing, you know that our, <laughs> we're, we're fairly uh, diverse, shall we say. And, um, <clears throat> and the conclusion of the staff was they wouldn't answer the question. And what stuck in my mind was one woman um, who, will not, who will be nameless, who said, you know, for my entire life, people have been trying to pigeonhole me and I'm sick of it. And, um, and so we ultimately declined to um, answer the questionnaire. So you put that in the larger context of even self-identification uh, for data purposes. And, you know, you, I, I buy the science argument is that you can't, uh, you can't fix what you can't study and what you can't measure. I buy that argument. Um, but self-identification is a pretty challenging concept for some people. What's your reaction to, to the overall cry for data collection? I think there are, and I know that there are really good uses of uh, collecting uh, disaggregated data uh, to, you know, race-based data. There are some really good uses for it. There have also been some very troubling uses of it in the, in the past. Um, and, and I guess, currently as well, uh, as, as your example points out. And uh, I think it, we need to collect data, uh, mm -hmm. disaggregated data. We really mm -hmm. do, because there are there, uh, I, I think that there are overall differential effects between different communities. And if we don't measure it, then we're not able to, you know, allocate our resources uh, accordingly to try to fix, to get at the nut of, of, of whatever issues or problems where you see where there's that differential effect. Um, I, I, you know, I don't know how the, I, I don't remember that Hill Times uh, um, uh, survey. I don't know if we filled it out in our well, office. We, it, have, we have a diverse It's your old well. eggs, Greg. Yeah, it was last week. <laughs> oh, right. Well, there you go. There yeah, you go. well, you know, like, yeah. Well. I, I haven't, I didn't look at it yet. Yeah. Um, uh, but we, you know, it's so important for us, uh, I think, to, have the right kind of questions that are being asked and being able to explain to people why you're collecting it. Mm -hmm. You know, when people are going in for COVID treatments, I think it's really important for us to try to collect that data again in, in a statistically important way so we, that we could find out, you know, is this affecting one group more than another? We, would, yeah. we should want to know that. Because then that will start posing some questions. Why is that? You mm. know, why? Uh, and we've seen in the UK and we've seen in the US that there's a real differential uh, um, effect of COVID on, on, on the black communities in those two countries. Why is there, there like a big overrepresentation of hospitalizations and deaths um, um, for the black communities there. So what are we what are we trying to get at? And I think that needs to we if we didn't measure it, we would not we'd never know. Yeah, right? I, I, at one level, I kind of agree with that. At another level, um, 
we did at the Public Safety Committee, and I hope you keep on coming to this Public Safety Committee because you're a great contributor. Um, uh, you, we did this study on um, uh, on the use of data, mm. the use and abuse of data. Well, that's it. And You've and the uh, and the you know I've I've got so jumpy these days that it makes me nervous when my when I get into my car and my cell phone goes on and um and it says that it's um 2 hours and 35 minutes to home yeah. uh how do you know that i'm going to go home you know yeah. Yeah. um you know i i don't even talk to my wife any longer in front of our thermostat <laughs> <laughs> no it's, it, it's 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 funny you say that i remember one time my wife and i were we talking it was just after the election and uh, we were talking about going visiting our daughter who was away at school and I mentioned the place where we're going and lo and behold when I went on to just uh, scroll at the you know taking a look at the news of the day there were a whole bunch of ads which were directed to me about flying to that place and yeah. it was just like wow how did they know my wife explained to me that they do have an uh, a way of you know if you leave your microphone or your microphone, if you don't disable it, it will capture conversation, uh, yeah. supp supposedly in an anonymized way. But uh, that, that freaked me out a little. Um, but you're right. Well, it, the, it does freak you out. And yeah, it is the use and abuse. And, um, you know, I, I would, I appreciate that, you know, the scientists or the, the data specialists or whoever they might be that collect the information will swear in a stack of Bibles insofar as they ever believe a Bible anymore, um, that, uh, uh, that they won't use, uh, abuse the data. But it mm. is a data set, and it is useful to some people. And um, anything that can be disaggregated can also be aggregated. Right. Well, not necessarily. I mean, there are ways which you can really take steps. I mean, one of the roles that I play uh, in this parliament is as being parliamentary secretary to the Minister for Digital Government. Right. And um, John, I'm, I'm assuming this is not going to be going out live today. <laughs> um, so I'll, 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 I might scoop a little bit, but we're we well. This is not a scoop. I mean, we were mandated to, uh, by the Prime Minister to work on a uh, exposure notification application. Exposure notification app. What's that mean? So if you uh, in the last 14 days have come up, if you download this app. It yeah. will, in a way, communicate using Bluetooth technology with other people who've downloaded the same app. Mm. And if you, John, uh, become infected with COVID-19 and you go to your healthcare uh, professional in Ontario, they'd ask you, do you use this app? And you'd say, yes. They say, great. Here is a special code which we're going to give you. Just type it into your phone. It types into your phone. And what it does is that it gives, it notifies anybody else with that app. Uh, uh, in the previous 14 days, we spent more than a certain, uh, who are close enough to you and uh, for a certain amount of time with you um, yeah. to say, hey, you've been exposed. We won't tell you where or when or with whom, because that's anonymized, but you've been near somebody for a significant amount of time uh, uh, who has now been confirmed to have COVID-19. You may want to go and you know, check uh, yourself or, or, or you know, engage in some uh, social isolation, whatever. Uh, but it's a way of you being able to say, 
you know what? Hey, mm. I didn't know, but I, you know, I was with Dominic K. He's sick now. Maybe I, I, I need to figure it out. Uh, yeah. uh, so I don't spread it to other people. Well, you don't have to worry. I don't have any friends anyway. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, yeah. we we're just we're You're standing near buddy. each other. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, we're in the same room. Yeah. That's right. That's right. We yeah. weren't talking or anything. No, no, but, no. Um, but it's, it, and I spoke to our, our experts, and these are in-house people, and it is completely, and we spoke with the privacy commissioner, it is anonymous. We don't hold on to that location data there's no yeah. way to aggregate it you know yeah. it, 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 it's not tracking you it's just it, it's a way that and it's a really modern way of just trying to figure out are you at risk yeah um i i appreciate the attraction <laughs> i'm not sure i'm not sure i'm quite there yet um uh in part because um, I know what I don't know, um, or I don't know what I don't know. I'm not quite sure how that works out, but um, yeah. it does it, it does make me jumpy, and and largely it my jumpiness comes from having listened to um, folks time after time talking about this sort of stuff, because once it bounces up into the internet somewhere, uh, you know, it's it's one thing to say that you or I have it. And then we go to there and there and there. Um, but you know, if you look at where the servers are, uh, the servers can be in Chicago, servers can be in New York, servers in downtown Toronto before it arrives at wherever they, the data recipient is supposed to be. Um, and uh, there's a vulnerability there. But I didn't. I didn't. Uh, we've got. We got off. We got off track here on the yeah. data. But um, <laughs> well, but uh, let me just but reassure I, all the people who are who are listening that that we've gone through this precisely those kind of questions, John, to find out where the information uh, lodged, where it's kept, and there is no way of. If there's no information that is related to John McKay uh, yeah. that is associated with that information yeah. uh, so it, it, it really truly is anonymous and you can do it it's it's just unfortunately that unfortunate that there's been so many bad examples of, of of groups or organizations that that seek out that kind of data right. uh, uh, but in this case with this app it, it's not it's not possible yeah well, let me let me um, circle us back to where we uh, we started, not where we started, but um, uh, on the issue du jour, which yeah. is uh, going to be an issue du jour for your lifetime and mine, and and uh, possibly forever. And I hope not. You, yeah. Well, I I would I would hope we'd make some progress, but um, it's not as if this has doesn't have a history. Um, no, but you know, John, but, but that's, a, that's a really interesting point. If, if you'll forgive me, we have made progress. No, know? that's fair. It's, that's fair. It's been yeah. slow. It's been hard. Sometimes you, you, you know, you, you shake your head and you wonder, you know, are we, are we slipping backwards? But we have made progress. I mean, things are really different. Five years before I was born, um, you know, the, you couldn't have black people marrying white people on the law books in yeah. certain provinces in, in this country, you know, I mean, mm -hmm. that's an amazing difference. Um, yeah. So things have, have, have changed and now they need to change more. Yeah. We need to yeah. go a lot further. We're nowhere close to where we need to be, but well, we how, do, how do you think, how do you think that 
you and I at this um, public safety committee can um, start to address this dialogue of the deaf. Because um, my sense of it is right now people are prepared to do a lot more listening than they have been up until now, but they're also backing themselves into defensive positions or offensive positions, which almost makes um, that progress that you and I would both cherish um, much more difficult. Uh, well, I, I think the first time that I've experienced in my lifetime is that there's a real openness to uh, by non-Black Canadians, non-Indigenous Canadians, to want to hear what the, what what my voice, what other voices want to hear, want to say. Um, there's a real openness to saying, okay, you know what? We don't know what to do, so tell me what I should do, mm -hmm. or tell me how what we should do. That's that's I've not heard that before. Mm. I've not heard that on the scale that I've heard it before. Yeah. Uh, I hear it from the guy who delivers my newspaper to, you know, I hear it from, from cabinet ministers and leaders. Uh, 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 it's really encouraging. Mm. Uh, you know, when I go to, uh, the, uh, to different rallies or protests and I look at the crowd, you know, the crowd is majoritively white. Yeah. And yeah. that's encouraging. I haven't seen that before. This is new. Um, now, I don't think people have a recipe as to what to do. I don't think I, I necessarily have a recipe, but I certainly... Or even if there is a recipe. Or, or, or if there... I think there is. I think there are a number of, of, of actions which we can take, which requires us to really get at the root of this. And I think part of it is just being exposed uh, to it. Uh, exposed to it at all levels of, of society. If we really want to get rid of systemic racism, uh, systemic discrimination, then we need to make sure that, and we got a, your, your, your neighbor, Gary, uh, Ananda Sangari told me this a number of years ago, you got to look and ask who's not at this table, mm -hmm. you know, who's not here and to be conscious of that. Uh, and as much as possible to invite people to be part of that table so that you have a wide and diverse uh, perspective. Um, and then just if you're, if you're checking that all the time, it's not going to be perfect, okay? Because there's sometimes you can't have, and there's not just not enough room, in a, and there's not enough place at, uh, you know, uh, at, at a particular table. Um, but if you make a big effort on that, you can, you can go a long way and you mm. could be open to that. And uh, mm. I think I, I do believe we can make a change. Will it be in my lifetime? I don't know. Uh, uh, I really don't know. But I think we can make a we can we can we can move those yardsticks a yeah. lot further down the field. Well, let's end on that optimistic note. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I'm sure that uh, those who are listening to us can uh, understand why. Um, you and I uh, uh, consider our friendship to be a good friendship. Oh, Donnie, um, yeah. yeah. Been, you've been there for me before. I remember running for office, uh, uh, seeking out your advice and, and your counsel on a number of occasions. And you did it anyway. So <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so oh, much I don't for my advice. Like, really? <laughs> Are you crazy? You're giving up this good job? <laughs> yeah.
so but, uh, I've, I've well, always I, I, there are opportunities to but we just scratch the surface. Yeah. Well, thank you, Greg, for uh, for joining me uh, today. Um, this has been a good chat. I hope that um, we may be able to, a few months from now, maybe after a few uh, meetings and uh, where we go with this committee, we might reconvene this chat and see whether you think, uh, whether your, your optimism is warranted. I sincerely hope that your optimism is warranted. And um, I think you are right to observe that the uh, non-Indigenous, non-racialized uh, committee uh, community, I never quite figure out what that means, by the way, um, are, um, are listening with ears that haven't been opened before. And, um, and, uh, and maybe, just maybe, we are in a point of time in our, in our collective um, Canadianness where we have the opportunity to do something and uh, move, move those yardsticks. I'm, uh, I'm, uh, I'm moved by, um, by what Martin Luther King once said, that the, uh, the moral arc of the universe is long, yes. but it, yeah. it bends towards justice. Yeah. And that's just an article of faith for me. Excellent. Thanks, Greg. Take care. Thanks for listening to What We Give. I'm John McKay. This podcast was produced by Amanda Capito with support from Leila Sharif and Anessa DeAngelis. If you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe to What We Give on your favorite podcast player. Leave us a review and tell a friend.